So my guest this week is Philippe Hoffer, someone whose name many of you will recognise from his posts about Google Power Platform on things like Stack Overflow and on Twitter and Reddit and so on, and actually his role as a developer advocate at, uh, at Google. So Philippe, it's really good to have you on the show and uh, thank you for coming on as a guest. Uh, great to be here, finally. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> thank you. Um, so Philippe, do you want to just kind of give us a bit of a background really for yourself and how you ended up uh, working at Google and I suppose the route you had coming out of Chile and over the States and, and so on? Exactly. I grew up in Chile. I had most of my professional life there until seven years ago when I got my Google interview. Uh, I moved to San Francisco and I started at Google, at Google six years ago as a software engineer. And then two years later, someone thought that I would be a great developer advocate. They invited me. And yes, I've been doing this since then. Okay. And so what, what is a developer advocate at Google Cloud Platform then? What do you do there? What's your kind of role and, and your focus and so on? Uh, for me, a developer advocate is a software engineer with a license to speak. Mm. So basically, I'm, my job is to tell others, software engineers, data scientists, uh, doers, uh, the cool things they can do with our platform. Uh, and especially, the, my main topics are big data and especially BigQuery. So my mission is basically how do I uh, communicate to people that the BigQuery is a product that they can use and that will solve a lot of problems for them. What would be quite good at the start, really, would be just maybe to just talk about what, just paint, paint a picture, really, of what the landscape is of, of products that run on Google Cloud around big data and analytics, just at a high level, and then we'll go into some of the details later on. Yep, so uh, to start off, I can just going back to my time in Chile when I was a software engineer there. Um, first, I was pretty impressed when we got this, uh, the first cloud offerings, just getting virtual VMs in Linode and other providers. So I started using them. Then I was pretty happy when I saw Amazon getting in the game. So the startup I was working at, I moved. Uh, I started developing our services there. And then one day I realized there was this thing called Appengine from Google, where uh, the whole serving infrastructure was managed. I was able to just write my scripts, write my code, and let Google host it without me having to worry about that. Uh, that was like, no, eight years ago, nine years ago now. So, as a software engineer outside of Google, I evolved from renting my own VMs to uh, learning a new language. At that time, I didn't, I was doing mostly Java and Ruby, but I saw this App Engine offering and it really resonated on how I wanted to do things. So, at that time, App Engine worked only with Python, so I learned Python and it really helped me on my uh, to get to get things done, and a lot of Google's the Google Cloud's platform offerings come from that world where where the question is how do I get Google to do most of the work for me and I can focus on on adding my logic, adding my ideas, not my not needing infrastructure infrastructure. I don't need to worry about infrastructure anymore. Mm, mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that was the thing that struck me with, um, so I came into the world of this through a startup I'm working at, and that, it, I was very much used to, to running servers on-premise. And even even when we ran stuff in the cloud before, you know, you were managing VMs, and it was maybe a cluster of VMs that you could spin up using a, using a kind of a, a tool that would spin them up and bring them down and so on. But you were still effectively working with VMs, and you have to deal with things like scaling, you have to deal with, um, you know, de just deal with kind of faults and dealing with kind of capacity and so on. But I guess a kind of a, a common thread in, in, in Google, Google Cloud Platform's products in this area is typically they're kind of what's called serverless or their infrastructure as a service. I mean, just, just I suppose you may spell out what that means in terms of in terms of scaling, in terms of kind of where the time goes. And as a developer, you know, well, what does that mean in terms of um, how, where your focus is in this kind of world, really? 
Yep. So my focus goes into developing the ideas that I have. Like, I'm extremely uh, lazy, as good software engineers should be. So we really want to automate everything. And if someone can automate, if someone that is not me can automate everything that can be automated, I want to leverage that. So we have uh, the origins of Google Cloud Platforms come from. Uh, from the beginning, we wanted to do a completely managed solution. And as we did that with Appenji, when I was still not working here, but uh, then I saw, I was still outside when I saw the first announcement for BigQuery, which, uh, well, as you know, I'm pretty linked to now. And with BigQuery, we have a similar story. You have data to analyze, you can load it to BigQuery, you can run your queries, and that's it. Like the, there is nothing to set up. There are no servers to turn on. There's not much to tune. It's just about yeah. You have data. You have queries. Uh, this will solve that problem for you. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll go as we as we talk, talk really. I want to talk to you later on about porting, say, a data warehouse workload into this environment, and I guess some of the practicalities of some of it. Um, but also, that BigQuery isn't the only database service that, that Google offer in this area. You've got things like Cloud SQL and, and this thing called Spanner. I mean, just maybe outline what those are and, and, and how they differ and how they're similar to, to, to BigQuery, really. Yes. Yeah, so between BigQuery, Cloud SQL, Spanner. So uh, let's go back uh, to the appending world where I was able to write my scripts and have them completely managed, scaling. Uh, at the same time, as we were doing services like that, not everyone was ready to jump into this new world. And a lot of people just wanted VMs, uh, virtual machines. And Google also started offering them for people that just need raw machines. Now, uh, in big data, we have a similar story. Uh, some people might want to jump to BigQuery and do everything there, but some might want to still keep using the tools that they know they're an expert of and also get help on running them. So Cloud SQL solves that problem. Cloud SQL is our manage either MySQL or Postgres servers. So if what you need is a MySQL server, if what you need is a Postgres server, um, we can help you run it. Uh, we will automate a lot of the uh, infrastructure calls, backups, uh, scaling, etc. But at the end of the day, what you're getting is the MySQL or Postgres servers that you probably already know uh, that are compatible with mm. other things that you use. So do they, do they auto-scale in the same way as things like BigQuery? I mean, I, I think, it, is it the point, again, that it's completely elastic sort of infrastructure, or is it more a case of, of they run as a managed service, but they have sort of more limits and so on? How, how does that kind of work? Yes, so they are a managed service that is not as magic as some uh, product that just natively magic. Uh, with Cloud SQL, we try to do uh, our best with the products that already exist. But they're still MySQL, they're still Postgres, so there are some uh, inherent limitations to those products, while at the same time being pretty easy to pick up and use and start building your applications. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually use Cloud SQL for, um, there are some some tools out there, some BI tools, like say Superset, for example, that don't yet natively connect on my, my experience to things like BigQuery. So I tend to kind of like ship data into your Cloud SQL environment and then use that to connect. So the integration between the two is quite good, but, but it, is effectively, it is effectively kind of like MySQL running in that environment. But what about Spanner? I mean, I know I'm very conscious Spanner isn't your kind of product area, but just at a high level, there's been a lot of kind of talk about Spanner and, and, and maybe some people aren't aware of it. What, what, is, what, is, what is Spanner really? And what's, what's the background to that? So Spanner comes as part of uh, Google's uh, history of trying to solve our own data problems. Um, uh, with BigQuery, the question we are trying to solve is how do we run uh, full table scans without indexes, that analysis in an extremely fast way. Uh, 
Now with Spanner, what we needed is a, a database like MySQL, which but that would be able to grow to a, to a Google scale, right? When you're growing MySQL, when you're using it, uh, when you have multiple nodes, you have having endless requests, or when you use a NoSQL uh, database instead, you start finding some limitations. Uh, you start either with eventual consistency, scaling up, um, and Spanner was our answer to all of these problems. How do we get a SQL database that we can scale massively? And the, the, the most magic part, because what people had to decide when they were growing into these new NoSQL databases was how do we handle eventual consistency? How do we handle partitions in our network from the famous CAP theorem? And with Spanner, we feel we solved that problem. <laughs> no, that's the question. I mean, it, just in broad terms, I mean, I mean, do, do, do you, how do, how is that solved? And what was the, or was it kind of Google magic that, that is kind of in, in various kind of like, you know, white papers that are out there? And, and was, was, there, was there a key innovation there, do you think? Yeah, well, one of the key innovations there is through time. Our ability to, yeah, the ability to keep all of the servers synchronized and know that they are, that, that time is, uh, is being accurate, accounted for accurately in every server. That's a very hard problem. That's a very hard problem, isn't it? It's one of those classic things in, in kind of clustered systems and whatever that actually getting synchronized time between the servers is, is an un unexpectedly hard thing to do, isn't it? Yes, it's a super, super hard problem. Mm. Unless you can bring hardware into the mix. And that's part of the Google magic here is our ability mm. to bring atomic clocks that synchronize all of these servers and give the system an accurate picture of what time is it and in what order these transactions in a distributed system are happening. Okay, okay. So so what, what I'd like to do next really is is walk through, uh, without kind of going through every product, you know, to go, I'd like to kind of walk through what would be involved in say moving uh, a, an on-premise workload, a data warehouse workload into kind of BigQuery. And we're not getting to the kind of not even get into the details of individual step by steps, but some of the kind of conceptual things really there. Before we do that, I just thought it would just be useful because a lot of some people wouldn't really know that they're what, you know, what is Google Cloud Platform. They might know Google from, uh, from from search and from docs and so on. So just again, just maybe just a couple of minutes. What what is Google Cloud Platform and and how does it relate to the sort of like the internal stuff Google do? And in a broad sense, I suppose really, what's the kind of differentiator differentiator for it? Yes, yeah, so well, you know other alternatives to Google Cloud, probably. Uh, I've used them too. Um, at Google, what I've seen is that that, that really uh, that really makes me happy. Even before joining Google, was the ability of Google to manage uh, to solve problems as magically as possible for you um, with a engine, with BigQuery, and at the same time. Um, when Google entered this world, uh, uh, we needed to catch up at first with uh, uh, traditional services that other clouds were offering. And we came from a position of pretty uh, awesome internal tech. Like our networking, it's really imp our networking abilities are really impressive. And all of these ideas uh, make us uh, believe that we can be pretty competitive and offer uh, differentiating uh, features. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my, my experience, I mean, I, again, coming into an environment here that was based around Google Cloud, the thing that struck me was, I suppose Google in a way, maybe it reflects their business to consumer B2C kind of background, but it tends to be products they build. So that, you know, BigQuery is a product that's a managed service. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of no ops. It's, it's uh, very much kind of finished off and so on, um, comparing it to say other cloud platforms that are more, I suppose, components that's there for you to kind of put together. It strikes me that even though the bits that we work with, things like that cloud data flow and, and BigQuery, although they're, they're obviously still uh, sort of IT tools, they're, they're, they're finished as products and they are a more complete solution. And it's almost like there's one solution for a problem that's finished off rather than, I suppose, lots of takes on it from other providers that are half finished and it's your job then to bring them together. 
and and this 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 kind of fact that it is finished off and it is a service that you can rely on it is virtually no ops it means you know taking our example that we we've got a team of engineers that do work on this platform and they actually just it's just innovating all the time they're not trying to manage servers they're not trying to scale stuff up they're still very technical and it's still a lot of innovation but it's not around trying to keep servers running it's around building a service on that that is itself innovative in terms of a business Thanks. so more, many of our products come from our own needs of how do you run uh, the scale of google the company is impressive like everything that we do as consumer products and uh, then our the problem we've always had to solve is how do we run this how do we scale internally and that's where bigquery comes from that's where the ideas for data flow come from uh, starting with MapReduce. MapReduce is the paper that started it all mm. Mm, exactly so so let's think about moving a workload over so let's imagine that i am a, a developer or a dba that's running an on-premise let's say for example sql server or oracle data warehouse and somebody says to them we're now moving this or can you test out or learn how to start to run this kind of a workload on a on a on a kind of google cloud environment instead and yeah, how, how would they? How would that person approach that? And if you let's be more specific, if you are a developer, um, how would you think about moving the workload, moving the tables? You know, it, is 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 BigQuery conceptually exactly the same as an on-premise system, or would you maybe structure the data differently? Maybe what would your thoughts be on that as an initial bit of advice to somebody? So, my favorite way of approaching this is asking people. What are their pain points? Um, like a lot of people, when I go to a conference, I'm speaking in front of everyone, I ask them, uh, who is working on big data? And not a lot of people are sure if they are working with big data or not, depending on the conference. But then if I ask them who knows SQL, everyone raises their hand. And then I ask them, hey, can you keep your hand up if you ever had a query that had taken hours to run, days to run? And they have seen this pain. This is a pain that they have felt. So when I can offer them a solution that will take that pain away, where they can just load everything, run queries in seconds without uh, uh, going through optimizations or committee meetings about what indexes should we add or not add to other database. Uh, That's a really good starting point. Like if everything is going well for you, uh, you don't need to switch anywhere. But uh, a lot of these products only make sense when you're feeling the pain. Uh, same thing with Spanner. If you're doing well with your MySQL server, uh, Spanner might not be attractive for you. But then if you know how hard it is to run MySQL at scale, if you know how hard it is to run and a NoSQL database at scale, when I'm able to offer you a solution that will take that pain away, people really start listening. Okay, okay. So maybe let's take a concrete example. So I've worked at things like gaming companies in the past where we have, you know, let's imagine we're getting kind of like transactions and bets and someone coming through, and they're at the point where the, the volume of these things coming through is more than the more than the traditional kind of relational database can, can handle. So they're having to deal with, I suppose, um, a, a greater throughput now than they used to have. And they are thinking about, I've got a maybe a table structure running in, in, in kind of like Oracle or something that's got dimensions with facts and so on. Would you suggest that, you know, would you suggest that they move that across as it is? Or does, I suppose, a, a, the distributed kind of nature of, of BigQuery mean that you might think about data modeling different? Yes, so um, a lot of ideas that are behind your current designs is come what you are designing around the current limitations, uh, all of the data cubes, etc. Uh, the whole idea is to make things easier to compute later and to be able to to process them. Um, then with BigQuery, that's not a problem anymore. So why keep those restrictions around your design anymore? So 
yeah, my, my favorite way of telling people to start playing with this, like there's nothing better than getting your own hands into it, it's to get their, an export of their data into BigQuery. If they can get just one huge dump, a huge file into BigQuery, and they can start running queries, they can feel the difference. It's a typical, uh, the one day long, one afternoon long proof of concept that converts people to this. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so BigQuery is, a, is like a kind of, obviously it's a, column, it's a columnar database, isn't it? So I guess some things, if you come from a world of row-based databases or, or, or storage, some things are easy, some things are hard. But do, does the fact that it's column store uh, mean anything differently and and you mentioned a little while there's no indexes so so in there so I guess what 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 kind of queries work well in that environment and what kind of uh, I suppose kind of design works well there and, and what would kind of be what would be a wrong one there really I mean certainly not having indexes is interesting really yeah so BigQuery biggest strengths it's also one of its biggest biggest weaknesses if you want to see it this way uh, is that BigQuery can process terabytes of data in seconds. Uh, now, it will also process uh, small data requests in seconds because everything is optimized to just do a full columnar scan. So usually, you want your database to reply, uh, to reply in less than a second. Yeah, you want you have a key, you want your value that has to take milliseconds. BigQuery is not that. BigQuery is not that kind of database. Um, uh, so solve if you already have a solution that brings you answers in less in less than a second, don't switch to BigQuery. But then there's all these problems you have, all these queries that are taking you way longer than a second. I'm sure you've run all-night processes where you come back the next day to see if it failed or not. Well, that's the kind of workload you bring here. What I was going to say actually there was an interesting one, and in that you, so you and I had a conversation on, on Twitter, I think, recently, where I'd come across a problem, you know, in, in my day job where we had problems joining tables, and I think that there's there's a perception sometimes, and that that kind of BigQuery can't do joins. Maybe some people coming into BigQuery would, would actually not even know that joins are an issue. I mean, maybe just talk to us a little bit about why joins could be an issue with BigQuery, but actually a strategy to setting up your, your table structures and, and the way you use BigQuery, that means you'll be successful in that. Because certainly you corrected me in that, in that in, on, online with that. And I think it was an interesting kind of story there, really. Yeah, so BigQuery has the ability to do joins. Um, when we first released the product, it was not able to do joins. It just ran full column scans. Then a year later, two years later, we had the ability to join with small tables, um, where we basically copied the small table to every distributed BigQuery node, and then we were able to join it with the big one. But today, BigQuery has the ability to join arbitrarily large tables, and it does a pretty good job at it. Like, now, sometimes what happens is when you are doing a join, sometimes you end up uh, writing a SQL query that creates a exploding join. And those are really bad. Like, let's say you're doing a cross join, uh, you have a 5 million row table and you do a cross join with itself. Uh, that cross join can produce 25 trillion rows. That's a bad idea. You probably don't want to do that, but with SQL, it's pretty easy to write queries that do that. Mm. Mm. How, how important is it to do things like nested columns? I mean, again, that's, that's something you, when you when you learn when you read about BigQuery, you hear about nested columns and so on. Is that perhaps kind of over-engineering the solution, or does that kind of come into it really as a, a general day-to-day -day solution to things? Yeah, so I was listening to your interview with Dan earlier. So yes, nested data, our ability to do th uh, to do arrays inside SQL, uh, I find it a very beautiful solution, but that you still need to uh, wrap your mind around it. Um, Daniel Mintz at Looker wrote an excellent blog post about the 
how beautiful he finds the ability to do nested data in the query. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, but it's a great modeling technique to put data that should be together instead of having it in different tables, just leave nested inside one row. Um, one of the typical examples we have here is from, uh, well, you know Google Analytics. Mm. Mm. Yes. So yeah. it's pretty easy for Google Analytics 360 customers to export their data into BigQuery. Um, so instead of going through the Google Analytics uh, web UI you can, yeah, or API, you can just dump everything in BigQuery and start asking any query that you may want or join it with your own data sets, which is pretty cool. Now, if you go and see how this data is modeled, each row represents a session. And that means you will have a certain number of columns uh, describing the session, who the user is, but one column contains multiple rows, which is each uh, page view hit. And instead of duplicating this data around many rows, all of the session level data, you can find it uh, compressed into only one row plus all of the, an array with every hit. And when writing queries, well, that's a pretty good solution that still creates problems for people when they are just uh, wrapping their mind around this idea. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so with that, I mean, this is one thing that leads on to is, is a, a lot of people moving a workload onto uh, Google Cloud and BigQuery and so on for, for various kind of valid reasons, would be thinking like uh, dimension load processes. So in data warehousing, as you kind of know, there, there's this kind of concept of, of you've got a dimension uh, date table that maybe gets updated um, and it's joined back to the fact table and so on. And I don't, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but you know, what would would things like nested columns be a solution for that? Or when someone says to you, I need to replicate this kind of dimension join to fact table kind of setup in BigQuery, forgetting the update part at the moment, but but how, what, how would you typically approach that really? Or is it completely the wrong thing to think about? So what I always try to do with my, my, with my table is to design around what queries I want to run. So uh, I want to optimize my tables for query because that's where we are going to spend most of the time uh, working. So if all of my sample queries have a join between three, four tables, uh, it might be much better if I offer my users a table that has all that data pre-joined. Um, having copies of data, even if like uh, this having duplicated data might make you nervous, but that shouldn't be a big problem if you're able to just regenerate these tables at any time. Storage is cheap. And the question now here is, what questions, what queries do, you, do your users normally run? Let's optimize for this. Okay, okay. So and that's an interesting lead into um, how someone might, might get access to the tools to do this really. So your title is actually you know, developer advocate. And so it'd be interesting to understand, well, someone who comes from the on-premise world that maybe has kind of, I don't know, SQL access to the command line, or they have maybe kind of data integration tools or whatever, what would be the typical toolkit for somebody who is a developer um, working with this? And how can Google help with that? You know, what do you have in terms of kind of like tooling and, uh, and I suppose command line interfaces and so on? Yeah. So. Uh... If we focus around BigQuery, we have mm. at least two different type of users. Uh, on one hand, we have the people with questions, the analysts, the data scientists. Uh, so they have a tool set to query this data. And on the other hand, we have our heroes that are the people keeping the pipeline alive. How do I yeah. keep fresh data inside BigQuery? So people are able to query that. Um, 
in the analyst toolset, the first tool you find here is the BigQuery web UI. Mm. Yes, the ability to open up a browser, log into BigQuery, and see all the tables you have access to and start running SQL queries without any more preparation. Mm. That's the first place we go. Uh, over that, I don't know if you are already using the BigQuery Mate uh, Chrome extension. Yeah, that, well, just explain what that is actually. Yeah, so one of our customers, users, uh, and favor one of my favorite BigQuery users mm. in LA created this um, extension because a lot of people in their company are using BigQuery and sometimes uh, they wanted uh, our UI to do different things. So instead mm. of waiting for us to create a different uh, add feature to the UI, uh, Mikhail just starting adding uh, his own features, and now he, this is released as a Chrome extension. We use it every day here. Yeah. 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 I'm impressed. If you go to the statistics on for the extension, it's, we have like it has like 3,500 active users. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, so one of the things it was good at as well, I think, with that one thing we like about that that Chrome add-in, sorry, is that it tells you it actually predicts what the price of the query will be, and it will tell you kind of you know this query will process this much data and whatever. But actually, what's interesting is how much of the queries that we generate are actually free, and and so BigQuery's got a different, I suppose, charging model, hasn't it, to maybe what people are used to, in that you charge based on queries. Is that right, rather than kind of like what you're storing? I, I don't know. How does that work? Yes. So as BigQuery is a completely managed solution where you don't need to turn on servers or anything, mm. uh, pricing goes, uh, the pricing model is built around the queries you are right. Mm. If you're not doing anything with BigQuery, then the cost is zero. When you want to write a query, you pay per query. That's a different mental model to approaching these problems. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of people find out that it, it improves their their cost a lot. But it's yeah, it, it, it's kind of interesting. It, it certainly it means that we have to be very cognizant of making in the old world of on-premise databases doing select style from something was was quite straightforward. But you know, doing select style from a BigQuery table brings back maybe all the columns and and how that, how would that affect charging really? I mean, how does that affect maybe the SQL you write or that, or your 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 kind of carefulness about bringing back all columns rather than less columns really? Yeah. So, uh, select star limit ten is not the most efficient BigQuery query because basically we are asking BigQuery to read all of our columns and then just give us ten results. Uh, mm. There is a free operation to do that. You can see if you what you want to see to your table, you can just uh, see your table without running that query. With that said, um, the, the question is always, uh, so the problem you want to solve is how do I get the results to, to the results I want? Um, on one hand, BigQuery shouldn't be expensive, but right. if you have massive tables, if you have one terabyte table and you're querying that one, uh, querying a terabyte of data will be a thousand more times expensive than querying a gigabyte. Yes, because the cost is linear. Mm. Um, but I suppose the fact it's column store means that by if you just just getting the columns you want, suddenly it's a lot cheaper, isn't it? So rather than, rather than in a way paying for the servers and the storage to store a big table and querying it, you'll just get you're just paying for the columns that you actually kind of request. So in some respects, that that is better, isn't it? Exactly. So what I'm able to do when writing a query is just to bring the columns I'm interested in, uh, and the, uh, just uh, the ability to know the cost of a query before I run the query helps you a lot with uh, understanding that kind of problem. Um, so the, I can limit the cost of my queries uh, in two ways. One is choosing mm -hmm. the columns that I will query, 
instead of mm. wearing all of them, the typical select star. And then mm. I can also develop my queries over samples of data. Instead, mm. let's say I have one petabyte of logs. Uh, the question is, how do I extract, before running all my queries, how do I extract the data I'm interested in from those tables? Mm. Yeah, and I mean, actually, we're talking here about charges and costs, but one of the things that really attracted me to, to, to the Google platform when I was, I suppose, transitioning from, say, Oracle, for example, is, is actually, actually very rarely, as a developer playing with things, learning the technology, it's actually pretty rare for you to actually incur any costs at all. And, and you know, look at, while we've been talking, I've been kind of bringing up my transaction history on uh, Google Cloud here, and, and it's, it's been many, many months I've paid like 10, you know, a pound or something, or, or, or it's, as a developer, I guess, you, you guys have been very good at making it possible for developers to learn this in a way that actually you're not going to have these big bills through. All the tools are there and you're using the environment that is exactly the same environment as you'd use at work, um, just that you're using it with a small data set and you've got these kind of free tiers as well. Is that correct? I mean, just maybe, am I correct on that? Exactly. So everyone has every month one terabyte to run queries mm. for free. Uh, mm. You don't even need a credit card for that. And we have a lot of public data sets available. Mm. That means that you can load BigQuery, uh, find any of these public data sets, uh, all of mm. the GitHub history, uh, Hacker News, uh, a copy of Hacker News, a copy of Stack Overflow, uh, with the worldwide weather, etc., etc., etc. And you can just start writing queries, filling out uh, how different this is like oh suddenly um you have a place where you can come load the query and start querying data right away without any charge at all yeah no once you get your feet wet uh you start loving it mm. like bringing yeah. it into I mean, your own life i do i mean and and, and I, I i i land all my all my personal data into bigquery I, I actually have loads of feeds coming in and it goes into bigquery and then and so on because it's i think again as a developer if you're learning something the fact that your environment stays there month in month out i mean a lot of vendors will give you trials for one month two months or whatever and then suddenly it's then chargeable or you might have 30-day trials and so on but the fact that you guys make the environment available at, you know, it's pretty hard to incur a cost as a developer at home. I mean, obviously at work it's different, and that environment stays there as well. And I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, you, you, know, you cover Google Cloud in general, not just so much BigQuery, and you've got all these APIs that you can use for things like sentiment analysis and, and stuff like that. I mean, tell us a bit about those and what they are and, and, and kind of how easy they are to use, really. Oh, yeah. By the way, we also have, in BigQuery, we also have a free storage tier. So mm, yes, the data you're storing there, the data you're querying BigQuery, it's all free up to a certain limit, but that gives you a lot of freedom to play with this. And then we, uh, as part of the Google Cloud offering, uh, we are investing heavily on machine learning. Machine learning is one of the uh, strengths of Google as a company, and we want to share uh, our tool set with the world. Uh, so people sometimes, when we go outside of and of structured data, uh, let's talk about images, let's talk about text, let's talk about understanding a lot of data that people, institutions, companies are collecting that they are not able to understand. We want to help them understand them. Um, you have a huge collection of pictures, you may have a huge collection of videos, uh, you might, might want to transcribe all of these podcasts uh, to text, you may want to know what were the concepts, the, uh, what, how are people speaking about your product. You have a that you may have a data center full of recordings, and you want to understand all of them. Um, we offer you APIs that can help you do exactly that. If you have a video and you want to know all everything that's happening inside the video, either the audio or the pictures, what uh, you can put your videos through this API, extract all of the metadata, and then store it in places like BigQuery to just uh, analyze them later. Mm, yeah, so so actually on, on that point, um, one of the things that I found, the APIs are fantastic, and I use, I use them for, for uh, sentiment analyzing incoming kind of like emails and tweets and, and all that kind of stuff. 
But one thing I found was it was still a little bit hard to link that to kind of BigQuery. And and I was trying to think about could I maybe create a function that would call uh, that would call the the sentiment API NLP API. I mean, is there anything around that, that around integration with the APIs and BigQuery that is coming along that will make it even easier to, to access those, or is it still a case of using the the the, the, yeah, the Ruby client and the Python client and so on? Yeah, so yeah, there is an impedance mismatch with what you can do with BigQuery versus what you can do with an API. Uh, with BigQuery, we can analyze a billion comments in the next 10 seconds or three seconds. Um, we would kill any API if we send them a billion requests per second. Oh, right, yes. So, so yeah, in, uh, the question there is how do we bring things to the scale and speed that BigQuery has? Um, yeah. But it's more, I suppose, because, they're, they're, as you say, it's like an impotence mismatch and so on. I mean, so, so maybe maybe for someone who is looking to get, maybe they're a Python developer or, or maybe, uh, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing, where would they go to or how would they get to start to understand the APIs that are available and, and you know, how, how would they run them and so on? You know, what would your initial advice be to someone who's looking at that, really? Yeah, so an, a nice way to start with APIs, uh, my teammate Sarah Robinson has a lot of examples of this, is to start listening to events happening in real time. Let's say a Twitter feed. As you collect and read each tweet, you can pass them through the API and then store them in BigQuery. Now, at what speed are you doing this? You are doing this at the speed that you are getting tweets. So you're not going over a billion tweets in the next 10 seconds. You are just collecting data from the outside, going through an API, understanding it, and then uh, storing that data. So, so the, that's a good place to start, and that uh, there you don't have the impedance mismatch. The API will go at the, uh, at the real, at real speed. Then you also have data flow to connect to extract data from BigQuery, uh, run any process called an API, and bring the data back in. And then I, if you want to stay in the BigQuery world, what I do many times is instead of going through the most advanced um, sentiment analysis API, uh, you can do find cheaper solutions that you can run with SQL. So, for example, yes, uh, the Google Cloud sentiment anal text analysis, uh, it's pretty powerful, it's really awesome. But then if you want to run some cheap uh, sentiment analysis tools, maybe you can take each word and score it according to this dictionary that tells you that if, if words are positive or negative, and you will get um, a quick answer to how the sentiment has evolved during time. Okay, okay. So so you mentioned data flow there. And, and one thing I have found with, with the kind of Google world is, is is cloud data flow is a pretty kind of integral part of most systems I, I, I see. But it's it's a lot more complex, or it appears to be complex than say BigQuery. Um, do you want to maybe just very high level paint a picture of what cloud data flow is? Um, and I suppose, you know, as a developer like yourself who's used to BigQuery, how did you approach learning uh, data flow, you know, what was, the, and how much do you use it really in, in real life? Yep, so with data flow, we are solving uh, at least three different problems. Um, one of the most important ones is how we are, we were running batch uh, analysis systems versus stream analysis systems, and there you have the typical Lambda architecture that gave you fast answers fast, inaccurate answers in real time, and then you were able to have a batch uh, process later that would give you the correct results. So with data flow, the, one of the important problems it's solving is how do we have a unified system that does both, uh, where you can get correct results and in real time. And many of these ideas uh, we put together in what we call now the Beam API. And the Beam API is now an Apache project and a lot of other 
like uh, systems like Spark, like Flink, um, l like these ideas. They have been adopting them. And we are developing a unified programming model where you can write to the Beam API and have your problem solved by different runners. Now, that's one problem. The other problem that Dataflow solves is how once you have your your pipelines defined in this way, is where do you run them? So you have the, uh, awesome open source runners, but you might want a managed solution. You might want just to deploy your logic somewhere that will scale up, scale down, and take care of running this. And Dataflow is our runner for the Beam SDK. Um, so you, you can write your programs for the Beam API uh, SDK and then Google can take care of running them in a managed way. Now, the third problem we have here is people coding. Is this API SDK easy? Uh, the first data flow API was implemented in Java and maybe not everyone likes coding in Java especially outside a corporate environment. So there I've seen Google advancements moving forward with our Python Beam SDK for people that love Python. And other people that have adopted Dataflow for one, for the Beam SDK, for the ability to have Google take care of running all of this process. Um, they have also built their own APIs in their own languages. And there you have Spotify that is using Dataflow extensively, but they also develop the NSDK in Scala. And now you can write Dataflow programs uh, on the Scala language. And they also add a lot of uh, interesting design decisions to the to the SDK from the programmer's viewpoint. Okay, um, so um, just before we get on to the last thing I want to talk about, which is Google Data Studio, um, one of the things that you, you haven't mentioned, but is, is, is a massive kind of useful resource that I think you've been involved in is there's a lot of examples and tutorials and, and things on, on the uh, Google kind of website that take you through getting started with all these things and, and you know, BigQuery and Dataflow and so on. I mean, maybe just kind of explain what they are and, and, and kind of, the, I suppose, the content that's in there and, and how they might be able to help people to, to adopt this new technology. Yep. So here the question for us is how do we help people get started from zero to ex to, be, uh, to become experts? Um, a lot of what I do is I try to write interesting data analysis posts that bring people to realize that we have all of this data available and that they can do similar analysis pretty quick. But that's just a part of telling people that if they learn BigQuery, if they try it out, uh, the reward is pretty good, uh, especially if you are fascinated by analyzing data. Uh, then we have all of these offerings, for example, our code labs for people that want to start in a guided way. So you can find many BigQuery code labs, Dataflow code labs that will guide you through the whole process of getting started, setting up your environment, and coming in, uh, uh, finally arriving to an interesting result. So if you just search for Google BigQuery code labs, you will find a, a, a pretty step-by-step -step guide to do all of this. And another resource that I found quite useful was, was Google, Cloud, Google Cloud Platform's GitHub repository. And there's a whole bunch of really good examples in there uh, of, I suppose, uh, linking, for example, BigQuery to, to, to sentiment analysis or things like that. I mean, I get, yeah, that's a useful resource as well, but I don't think it's very well publicized. But, but um, you know, I found very useful as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. My teammates like Sarah, Amy, um, many more, uh, they publish all of their code on GitHub. So, well, if you are Googling for those results, you will find them. Uh, I also try to collect all of these results on Reddit. So I'm the admin for reddit.com slash r slash BigQuery. So everything I know about BigQuery, everything interesting that I find out there, I collect it there and I let people just upvote and downvote 
what they find interesting. The same with the subreddit Google Cloud. When things go beyond query, I also put them on Google Cloud or read the subreddit, App Engine, etc. So if you want to follow this uh, collection of resources, uh, at least you will find them all collected on Reddit and ready for you to follow. I wasn't aware of that, actually. So I'll, I'll actually take a look out of that now. So uh, that, that's kind of useful. And the last thing I want to talk to you about is, is um, I suppose, uh, you've got a tool, Google Data Studio, which which is uh, is very getting very popular now within the um, the world that I kind of work in. It's Google's free or free to use, um, I suppose, BI tool. I mean, tell us what that is really, and and uh, what it's for, and, and and how people might start to get enabled with that as well. Yeah, well, Data Studio is my, my one of my new favorite products uh, in the line that it just solves a problem for you, and you do not need to care about any infrastructure. Uh, with Data Studio, you can create la- interactive dashboards um, following the Google Drive model. Like, if you want to create a document and share it with anyone, you can open up Google Drive, you can start your document, you can make your document public, you can share it with me if you want to share something privately. And with Data Studio, we have a similar model. Data Studio can connect to multiple data sources. Uh, hundreds of data sources now. Uh, we have this new connector program, so anyone can write a connector for Data Studio. Uh, but it also connects to Google traditional data sources like Google Analytics, YouTube, and of course, BigQuery. Now, once you, once you can connect to data sources with a couple clicks, uh, you can start creating visualizations, adding interactive controls for them. And once your visualization, your dashboard is ready, you can share it with anyone you would like to. Again, following the Google Drive sharing model. Mm. Um, what, one thing with Google Data Studio that I was all surprised about was, was if you connect to, say, BigQuery, you, you can't bring in multiple tables and join them. It's either a single table, a single view, or a SQL statement. Is that something was that was 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 that a deliberate design decision or or would that be kind of broadened in the end? I mean, it seemed a bit of a restriction that I was I was surprised about. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, Data Studio is a new product, so all the features you see there are the initial features. All oh, right. Yeah. Will it get more features? Probably. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to spoil spoil the surprises. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, to start with, there you can, if you want to ha- run joins, you can run mm. any custom query that you want. Exactly. Yeah. Things are going to get interesting. Yeah, good. I mean, it's a it's a very good tool. I mean, we 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 kind of use it here um, internally for reporting and so on, and, and a lot of our customers use it as a as a, especially as a common standard. The fact it connects to kind of Google Analytics and and, and so on there. I mean, and it's and it's freely available. Is it's almost like the Microsoft Access in our world of uh, of, of kind of uh, I suppose cloud BI. And there's actually one other tool that that you guys brought out recently, which I think actually is in is in is in beta at the moment, which is uh, cloud data prep as well. I don't know if you know about that at all, but it, it, maybe if you do, just maybe explain what that is as well, and we'll finish on that. Yeah, of course I know about data prep. Um, <laughs> oh, <I'm> just, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, just, I just I just sprung that on you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as with Data Studio, the, the question is always how do we reduce the friction to work yeah. with your data? Uh, data Studio is amazingly low friction to just yes. get your dashboards out there. And with Data Prep, the question is how do you start loading data? Uh, you might have these huge dumps of data that you have never looked into, but you're still collecting, or someone shared some. Uh, CSV or JSON files with you, and now you want to load them, you want to clean up this data. Uh, it's the first step. At, for, the first step for analyzing data is understanding what data you got. And with data prep, you have this interactive environment that will sh- go over a sample of this data, will show you the shape of it, will allow you to interactively uh, clicking around, decide how you want to clean it up, what data do you want to keep, what do you want to split in different columns, or what columns you want to drop. And while you are designing this uh, recipe for your data, uh, you will store this recipe, 
and transform it into a data flow job. Once that, that you don't need to really care about, it's just the recipe that you interactively build. And then once you have your recipe ready, uh, data flow is ready to run these jobs, not only in a sample of your data, but on your whole, on as much data as you have, and it will scale up and down depending on how complex your data and solution is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's this, I suppose it's a data wrangling tool, isn't it? And, and, and uh, yes. it, for, for me, I mean, for me, the, the thing that was always disproportionately hard with working on, on, on BigQuery was actually just moving data around. You know, it was incredibly easy to load data in, to process it, to do whatever. But actually creating a sequence of, of, of steps, for example, that would take some data and maybe kind of transform it and uh, maybe kind of aggregate it and so on. That, that's, there was no solution for that, really, apart from scripting it. And, and I, mean, I don't know you know, whether this is the solution for it, but you know, that, that was always a hard bit, really. And, and um, the fact that Cloud Data Prep connected to BigQuery, for example, was a massive kind of bonus. I mean, do you, do you, I mean, do you tend to use this tool now, sort of day to day, or, or, or what, really? Well, personally, I'm not using it that heavily, but um, I know of a lot of people that do so. And mm. you're touching a, a, another super interesting point is how do mm. we just build our pipelines? Uh, I know, and that, that is, uh, that, there is no, I mean, that's the bit that is suddenly you're on your own, typically. And, and you know, there's solutions like Airflow and stuff like that. But what, what's, the, what's your solution for this and how do you build these kind of data pipelines? Uh, I love relying on my data heroes that bring me the data in, mm. but Airflow is, I, I would agree, is one of the most um, most adopted solutions right now by different mm. customers. We'll yes, do that, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, that's the one I would recommend people using. Mm. Um, maybe, I mean, I know you're not here to publicize Airflow, but what, what is Airflow and, and how... I suppose, in a way, what we're really interested in is how does it integrate with kind of BigQuery, or how would you use it with BigQuery, and what problem does it solve for you, really, or for customers? Yeah, well, I'm not an, ex an Airflow no. expert, but really? I do know <laughs> I do know that it's one of the best tools to define how you want to move data around and run your hmm. your data pipelines. Um, I've seen some great work, for example, from WePay that have described their whole solution of how they move their uh, live data from that lives in MySQL, how mm. they use Airflow to synchronize uh, a whole workflow pipeline of moving this data as quickly as possible to BigQuery for analysis, for example. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, we use it to do this. aggregation, yeah. We, for aggregation, we use it as well. Yeah. Um, so if you want to do things like that, like how to keep two databases synchronized either daily or every 10 minutes, um, Airflow is a great place to uh, to define those steps. Just to kind of round up, so how do, just just to recap again, how do people find you on the internet? How do people find the, the, the content you've been producing and, and where they go to just to kind of get started with as a developer in this platform? Well, I'm on Twitter as Felipe Hoffa. Uh, then I put a lot of content on Medium. Uh, I love leaving, uh, collecting all of these. So, for example, this podcast, as soon as you publish it, it's going straight mm. to Reddit slash R slash BigQuery. Mm. And for people that have questions, people that are, if you're running into technical problems, if you have a programming question, Stack Overflow is this has this awesome community. Mm. I'm usually looking there at every question that is posted um, some I can answer some I see how the community just comes out and answers and we have the engineers from the product also working there uh, Stack Overflow is just this awesome resource mm -hmm. it's usually you that's answered the question at the end there with the correct answer which is which is good so I mean it's been fantastic to speak to you uh, Philippe I mean yeah, it's been good to talk to you. Someone I've kind of seen on 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 those places before, and, and it's been so helpful with the uh, with answers and so on. Um, and yeah, it's been great to speak to you. And, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, it has been great finally meeting you. And I've been a fan of you on Twitter this whole time. <laughs> I love seeing your evolution. Like yeah, yeah, how, how you've been moving through the cloud world. 
So yeah, yeah. thank you very much for having me. Uh, let's stay connected. Okay, thank you.